you have to have infinite lifetimes to even read all the legislation. So we, by that fact alone, we know that the government has already intervened plenty. It's intervened enough. It's done intervening. The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. Oh my God. Good morning, good evening, good night, good afternoon. We are back in the studio after recording this conversation yesterday because Mr. A lost the recording. So we were disappointed and sad and depressed and now we're back. I'll never fully recover, but I think this one is the the topic is the good part about this podcast, I think. I think that's what made it good. Yeah, yeah. So we are going to talk about communitarianism on today's episode. What is it? What the hell is communitarianism? Um, and we're going to do it red pill, blue pill style. So we're going to go for the positive and the negative version. Um but before we get started, I wanted to make a couple of notes, just a little notes, because we made them on the last episode, and so they won't be published. But on a prior episode, we made fun of Michukaku, Michukaku for having oh, yeah. a Galaxy background on his website and not realizing that we have a Galaxy background on all of our visuals, our website, our podcast. So we are officially dunces. Well... It's even more beautiful than that because your quote was galaxy background with all these colors, I think. (laughs) And like literally all we have as far as visuals is a galaxy background and just a splash of colors. So you like literally. Oh, my God. It's like like we could have had the same designer. Like I was it's like fun of ourselves. We copied him basically. <laughs> oh we just don't have yeah, our hair blowing in the wind. That's coming next. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah, his has more of like this weird. <laughs> I I still get this weird like guru like spiritualist as, <laughs> astro spiritualist guru vibe from his website, and I'm like, aren't you a, like a PhD like super science guy? But you're everything about you your vibe is like. Where's your wand? Like, you're going to be like, boom! Just, I mean, <laughs> uh, I forgot there's no visuals, so you don't get to see all my antics, but yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So, but that's where we're going to so be good heading. on you, Me Too. Me Too. Yeah. Yes. Also, we're not, like, super serious people. No. Whereas Me Kaku is. So that's why it's so funny to, like, see his stuff in that state. You're just like, okay. That's interesting. I just saw you on the news and Joe Rogan and I went to your website and it's just like 90s, <laughs> 90s. Yeah. It's what it gave me. It wasn't even, it's really not 90s. It's probably more like 2000s. But at this point, the 2000s and the 90s are the same thing. Like it oh was God. wild back then. Yeah. Look at the website. Go look it up. You will not be disappointed. But anyway, so that, oh, the other thing I wanted to mention is, um, yeah, RFK, we really hyped him up on that one episode. Uh, I don't know if the, the our rebuttal got published, but he posted some other stuff that was weird. So, uh, Oh, I have so turned around on him now. It happened oh. already. 
Wow. I heard some crazy stuff about him. And I was like, what? Like, I mean, just like mind blowing. Like, I can't believe it. But we'll see how those pieces fall. Because the person that I heard talk about it, they always come across. I, I literally can't remember his name at all. I I only hear him as a guest on other like on other oh. platforms, like on other people's things. But I but he makes the rounds a lot. He was uh, his he was pointing out from what I remember some of the more shocking revelations, which I one thousand percent need to verify before I just go saying that I've turned on him on <laughs> RFK because these are crazy allegations. But he was saying. That like he's like you think Trump was connected to Epstein, you should see RFK's connections to Epstein. And as he was walking through them, I know, man, I was like, no way, of course. And there's a a network that this guy talks about. You've got to look this up. We could cut all this out. I'm literally just telling you this. Like, there's this no, network. We're not cutting it out. This is good content. Okay, I don't I don't know if it is or isn't because I'm just like it's just coming back to me that I remember listening to this. Um. What was it called? Uh, do you remember that documentary off Netflix, The Family? Do you remember that? It was like mm-hmm. a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was like some whack-ass Christian psychopath conspiracy in the government or something. Like, I don't know what that... It freaked me out. I was like, I don't know what I'm watching right now, but this is weird. It was weird, yeah. If you haven't seen it, go watch The Family. It's about some like weird Christian fraternity that has all these ties to politicians and elite people and it's very strange i don't i don't know anyway yeah i I don't either but this one's called this was like right up that alley they even mentioned that oh so it's and it's called the council of national policy uh is the 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 thing and i'll just go why not let's just be transparent i'm always hyping on transparency i'll tell you exactly where i heard this episode number 686 of the uh, tinfoil hat <laughs> podcast with Sam Tripoli. I know, I know. If you're not a follower, then you think the name says it all, but it's it's a good podcast. It's like a comedy conspiracy podcast. Sam Tripoli's a comedian. It's funny. Um, well, I don't know. The tides are turning. Well, he's like, Sam Tripoli's legit crazy in a way. Like he's- People are. Like, yeah, like in my private life, I'm also, I'm like, but he just has no filter. He's like, just puts it out there. I'm, but in my private life, I might privately consider whether or not the Earth truly is a giant spinning rock in the sky. I'm not saying it's flat Earth, but I might consider: is it flat? Could it be hollow? Could it be a shape like a donut? I don't know. I'm willing to go there. He's willing to just like hear a convincing argument and be like, "I believe that now." So he's that kind of crazy. But number six eighty six, the Council of National Policy. That's the beginning of the title. Type it in Spotify or something. And I guess the guy that came on is named John Brisson. John Brish Brisson. And he is a Christian researcher and investigative journalist. Interesting. Anyway, interesting. Listen to so, that. It was all about RFK and it freaked me out and I'm really upset about it. Yeah. Well, Yeah, I was just going to say, I think we support RFK in tackling the money influence in government, especially between like CDC and FDA and Big Pharma. Yes, that's an issue that we can all get behind. But then there's some other stuff that he's said and come out and 
this was my whole thing. It's like, I don't even know what the truth is because now you just have all these like crazy claims. He's made some intense claims, RFK. And then there's like people coming at him making other intense claims. And I have no idea how to verify any of this. I literally don't even know what's true. And I don't know how to find the truth. It's like, I feel like I would need to study and look into articles and do some research for weeks. So I don't, yeah. I know. And and there's something about his voice thing that because it's so unbelievably unique because he literally talks like this you're like i you can't really gauge like the that kind the of emotion authenticity factor yeah. yeah you can't really get the, like all, the full picture so you i think you fill it in with like like a jesus or something you know like he's <laughs> out there he's he's beaten and battled and injured and has yeah. this wacky voice and he's still out there you know you give it something that maybe it doesn't deserve I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. TBD, we'll have to come back if uh, more information comes out at some point. But onward to communitarianism. I'm glad we're redoing the podcast because on my end, the first thing I said was, let's talk about communalism. (laughs) I literally got the word wrong. So, But it's a tricky word. I'd never heard about it before, and I encountered it on this video, which we will play in a little bit. But if you just search, what is communitarianism? A definition. This is what pops up on Google from Oxford Languages, just the dictionary result. Communitarianism, a theory or ideology that rejects both the market-led theories of political conservatives and the liberal concern for individual rights, advocating instead a recognition of common moral values, collective responsibility, and the social importance of the family unit. So this is the blue pill, or whichever one the good one is, because I read that and I think, sounds pretty good. Sounds like Jordan Peterson. Sounds like, you know, responsibility and family values and morals and getting our communities together, getting our act together. Uh, Well, this blue pill, red pill thing, this is one where, like, the blue pill turns into a red pill. It's not like there's really two takes on it. It's like, doesn't this seem good? And then it's like, but is it though? Like, let's dive in. And we know because we've already had this conversation. But you will know soon. And you will soon. But make up your own mind. Information. You will have information in your brain that you did not have, that nobody else has. Um, Just like if you listen to the last episode where we expose uh, Pence and where he literally admits on a major platform that we blew up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline uh you'll only hear it here folks that's what i'm saying yeah like and subscribe share with your friends exactly so i didn't know what this is it's a political ideology um or political philosophy stance akin to liberalism and conservatism but you never hear about it i was never taught about it and i don't know anybody who has ever brought it up to me i literally just found out about it and then when you look at it online you know they make some claims about oh it's this and And here, I'll read the Wikipedia too. So on the Wikipedia, it says, you know, it's a philosophy that emphasizes the connection between the individual and the community. It's based on the belief that a person's social identity and personality are largely molded by community relationships, uh, with a smaller degree of development being placed on the individual. And then it says... um, The application of the label communitarian was controversial, even among communitarians, because in the West, the term evokes associations with the ideologies of socialism and collectivism. 
So public leaders and some of the academics who champion this school of thought usually avoid the term communitarian while still advocating and advancing the ideas of communitarianism. So it's really interesting because so you have this idea, it sounds kind of good, but then just what it sounds like makes it sound like socialism. And then it's like, well, well is it they're socialism? Like, they're, literally, <laughs> they're literally missing the point there. What they're trying to say is communitarianism sounds like communism. <laughs> yes. That's that's what they're saying. They're literally, that's what they're literally saying. Because it's also commute. That's the same root word exactly. for a reason. Exactly. Because their focus is on the community, the collective. Right. And so, yeah. So you've never heard of it. It's really weird. And then uh, Mr. A brought out this political philosophy book that he is going to read some of to us, which will explain how it relates to other uh, political parties and ideologies that you're more familiar with. Yeah. So, okay. This book, actually, it's not really a political, this one's not a philosophy book. This one is a kind of like an American government type of textbook, but it's called The Challenge of Democracy, American Government in Global Politics, The Essentials, ninth edition by like 50 authors, because obviously it's a textbook and they all have to get their royalties. And this book, if you're into like what we're into, whatever that is, you could read it like a novel. Like Truth. every, it's it's like a page turner. It's a textbook. Oh. It's a textbook that's literally a page turner. Like, so it starts with like literally section 1.1, like from the beginning of the book is the globalization of the American government. Like that's the first section. Like that's huge. You know Tell what I mean? Me like <laughs> it's like section one in this class, globalism. It's like, isn't that a conspiracy? I mean, like, no, it's section 1.1. So, okay. Uh, blah, 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 blah. The purpose of government. Well, so while you're looking for that, I, um, I did want to say this other part from the Wikipedia. So this is like a key point in communitarianism. So I'll read directly from the Wikipedia. Unlike classical liberalism, so like liberals, uh, which construe communities as originating from the voluntary acts of pre-community individuals, communitarianism emphasizes the role of the community in defining and shaping individuals. Communitarians believe that the value of the community is not sufficiently recognized in those liberal theories of justice. I don't know about those liberal theories of justice, but yeah, so essentially they kind of reject the idea that communities are compromised of collections of individuals. It's almost like an inversion that the community is first and then individuals are, I don't know, what would you say, individuated from the community and that somehow the higher order structure is primary, which just kind of fundamentally is like a weird idea. It would be like saying that like if you take protons, neutrons, and electrons being like atoms are primary and they're not made up of free electrons, protons, and neutrons. There are atoms that define protons, neutrons, and electrons. It's like kind of a weird philosophy. Yeah, but I think they probably think of it more like on a patch of skin, You, it's like a community and like 
if there's skin cancer or dead skin or dry skin, like some of, even though the cells are what's making everything up, some of the cells suck. And we just want to cut them out with a razor or burn them off with chemical chemotherapy. You know what I mean? It's like, I think it's more along that line of thought. Like, or that's, I mean, literally that's, yeah, because I think that's how they ultimately talk about it. Like, they don't like to get confused about nuanced arguments, like what the metaphor actually means and how it actually makes sense. Yeah, They just want you to get something that it's kind of believable and then tell you how come you can't do what you want to do. Interesting. We're Um, revealing our biases, but yes. What is this? uh, Well, okay. You're right. You're right. (laughs) The promotion of equality has not always been a major objective of government. It gained prominence in the 20th century in the aftermath of industrialization and urbanization. Confronted by the contrast of poverty amid plenty, some political leaders in European nations pioneered extensive government programs to improve life for the poor. Under the emerging concept of the welfare state, government's role expanded to providing individuals with medical care, education, and guaranteed income from cradle to grave, in quotes. Sweden, Britain, and other nations adopted welfare programs aimed at reducing social inequality. This relatively new purpose of government has been by far the most controversial. People often oppose taxation for public goods such as building roads and schools because of costs alone. They oppose more strongly taxation for government programs to promote economic and social equality on principle. The key issue here is the government's role in redistributing income, that is, taking from the wealthy and giving to the poor. Blah, blah, blah. Using the state to redistribute income was originally a radical idea set forth by Marx as the ultimate principle of developed communism. So... Well, that's so interesting because I looked up a little bit about equality too. So this is from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. Just kind of... This is the page about equality. And it says something very similar. So it says... There is controversy concerning the precise notion of equality, the relation of justice and equality, the material requirements and measure of the ideal of equality, i.e. equality of what exactly, the extension of equality, equality among whom, and its status within a comprehensive liberal theory of justice, the value of equality. So it's kind of interesting because they go on to say that this is like, widely used politically because it has kind of positive connotations. But then they said it's actually very tricky to define what exactly it means. And they were saying usually equality implies like sameness in regard to at least one dimension, but it doesn't imply identity. There's like there's a distinction between identity and equality. Identity would be complete equality, like complete sameness. They're like equality is when you have sort of incomplete sameness where you have you're really talking about equal along some specified dimension and so this becomes tricky when you think about the government if you think about its purpose being in ensuring equality which is a popular political slogan that the government is going to help us achieve equality of some sort that becomes very contentious when it's hard to define what that actually means so how can the government right actually do that there's a problem in my mind i like fundamental type philosophies 
even if it's like a, from a developed concept like politics or whatever, which requires like a developed society or whatever, I still like to think about like the fundamental aspects of those. And equality is this funny thing that really requires this communal, 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 communist, socialist, collectivist notion. Because like you and me, I can never be equal unless we actually are 100% the same person and then one of us disappears. <laughs> like, because we have to be the same person. Right. Like, well, you know, that's that's what they're saying in the Stanford thing. It's like, well, so equality actually doesn't mean that. What we mean is something else. We mean what do sameness we mean, really? in a dimension of some sort. What, and the dimension is a conceptual fabrication? Like it's just something made up? We are equal because we have the same age or the same height or the same income. Um, that is equal, but we are not identical. Um, it's a philosophical quandary, yeah, once you start thinking about that. Well, they're trying to force something. It's just a forced notion. It's like when we were taught, we'll get to this later, maybe not even today, but there's a really deep insight, I think, that we had or I had, I don't know. Um, like, because we were talking about like trans stuff. And that kind of stuff you were talking about as someone you ran into that you knew that was oh, something. Yes. And I started, I brought up the concept of like a, what the word normal means. I was like, you know, this is never, it's not like normal and they want it to be normal. But like, if you think of the, the word normal, it means something. And again, back to like a mathematical sense, a normal is a bell curve. Like it's math, it's a thing, like specifically has a shape. And a so if you take things, yes. right. So if you, t which they like to say that like a distribution is kind of like a spectrum, right? Like they love to harp on this, like everyone's on this like gender spectrum. It's like, well, that's fine. Even if you want to think that you have to recognize that some of these extreme things that we're trying to literally, they say the word normalize are not normal because they're not in the they're not close they're not within the standard deviation of the average they're on the tails of the bell curve which are have their own purpose like those are the tails they that's what they help make what they literally cause normal to exist as just as much as what's normal does mm, you yeah. know what i mean like it pushes the the mean together so to to try to normalize things, I mean, it's just it's just these weird these weird like conceptual forms of these ideas just don't really work out all the time. Is what I'm saying. But yeah. we're going to talk about communitarianism, which you've probably never heard of. And here's some key points: freedom. There's two kinds of freedom according to the textbook, literally, freedom of and freedom from. One of those is harped on all the time. One of those is completely and utterly ignored. Order. Uh, when order is viewed in the narrow sense of preserving life and protecting property, most citizens would concede the importance of maintaining order. But when order is viewed in the broader sense of preserving the social order, people are more likely, likely to argue that maintaining order is not a legitimate function of government. So there's a social order. Um, okay. Equality, like freedom and order, equality is used in different senses to support different causes. Political equality in elections is easy to define. Each citizen has one and only one vote. This basic concept is central to democratic theory, a subject we explore at like blah, 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 blah. 
here's this. Okay, we're starting with a sentence that starts with for example. Uh, wealthy citizens can exact influence by advertising in the mass media or contacting friends in high places. Lacking great wealth and political connections, most citizens do not have such influence. Thus, some analysts argue that equality in wealth, education, and status, it, that is, social equality, is necessary for true political equality. There's also equality of opportunity, which is the buzzword. Equality of outcome. Right, which is, another, which is literally next on the list here. There are two, two routes of promoting social equality, providing equal opportunities and ensuring equal outcomes. I think we know the difference there. Okay. So let's get to communitarianism. And then we can backtrack a little to some of these other concepts. Yeah. Can we do the two by two? Yeah, that's what this, that's what this is. So the two by two, so it's based on two dilemmas. The original, what they call the original dilemma and the modern dilemma. So the original dilemma is freedom versus order, which is quite an ancient concept. The modern dilemma is freedom versus equality. Mm, so that's what you were saying a second ago, and that's what we were talking about with this Stanford thing is that actually that's kind of politically new and politically contentious, philosophically contentious at least. Yeah, it says popular opinion is that freedom and equality go hand in hand. Source needed. Okay. Um, (laughs) In reality, these two values usually clash when governments enact policies to promote social equality. So it's like this dilemma is literally because of what government is doing. Um, because social equality is a relatively recent government objective deciding between policies that promote equality at the expense of freedom and vice versa is the modern dilemma of politics. Consider these examples. During the 1970s, the courts ordered that the uh, busing... This is another thing we just talked about. In the 1970s, the courts ordered the busing of school school children to achieve equal proportions of blacks and whites in public schools. This action was motivated by concern for education, uh, educational equality, but it also impaired freedom of choice. Here's another point. During the 1980s, some states passed legislation that went beyond giving men and women equal pay for equal work to the more radical notion of pay equity, equal pay for comparable work. Women were to be paid at a rate equal to men's if they had different jobs, providing the women's jobs were of comparable worth, meaning the skills and responsibilities were comparable. During the 1990s, another point, Congress prohibited discrimination in employment, public services, and public accommodations on the basis of physical or mental disabilities. Under the 1990 Americans with Disabilities Act, businesses with 25 or more employees could not pass over an otherwise qualified disabled person in employment or promotion, and new buses and trains had to be made accessible to them. Another point, during the decade of the 2000s, Congress passed the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. Signed by President Bush in 2008, it prohibited companies from discriminating in hiring based on individuals' genetic tests, genetic tests of a family member, and family medical history. Odd. So these are all examples of trade-offs between individual freedom and equality. Is that right? And they're all recent. It's like the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. And they're saying, see how the government is passing all this legislation and see how the dilemma here or the, the outcome 
is equality and see how the trade-off is freedom. So in each of these cases, we're trading, we're going, let's do equality, let's do this to make equality. And then in each of these cases, there's a, a component of it where somebody's freedom is inhibited. So mm. in the case of the disability people, it may be as a business owner. In the 80s, let's see, equal pay for equal work, again, against business owners, men and women, or women, kind of versus men, but it's not really talking about the rights of man, of men, like males. It's talking about the rights of the women versus, again, kind of business owners and how much they sh are must be paid. Well, it's like the business owners can't choose how to pay people. The government's sort of deciding for you. You have to pay people yeah. this way. Interesting. The one in the 70s was more individual, I think, because it was saying the bus, the, this busing point, which we've just talked about recently and how crazy and contentious that was. But the busing thing is, it, it appeared to inhibit even the individuals it was attempting to help. So it's like, we're going to force X amount of black students into white schools and you no longer have choice. I'm guessing these were public schools, but like, so that eliminates this choice that your individual choice of where you want to go to school, who you want to associate with at school, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, Although I think those first students were volunteers. Probably uh, volunteers, but, but, yes, but in we general, know how voluntary yeah. actions with the government usually end up being coerced. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, so this is the two-by-two two that we're setting up. So we have two axes that sort of give you a two-by-two two grid. One of the axes is freedom to order, and the other axis is freedom to equality which the most the first thing that i notice here is that it's quite interesting that both axes zero out at the same thing so instead of like order versus chaos and equality versus inequality those are not the axes the axes are equality opposing freedom order opposing freedom right so we were saying this is contentious, yeah. How is it even possible that you can have two orthogonal or perpendicular axes when one end of both axes is the same thing? So that's a little confusing. And we can talk about that in a second, but let's go to what is in each quadrant. So, you know, high so freedom, high order, or whatever. Yeah, you can say. So the top left-hand quarter is going to be full equality and full freedom all the way. That's the top left quadrant. Those are called liberals. According to this textbook, kind of the very basic overview is that the liberals favor government activities that promote equality, such as affirmative action programs to employ minorities and increasing you know, spending on public housing. And they oppose things like government actions that restrict individual liberties, such as banning sexually explicit movies or mandating tests for AIDS. So, it's the, this is kind of the classical liberal idea, which is we want equality, but freedom for the individual. So you, so freedom, like we're not going to ban porn and we're also not going to mandate testing for medical issues, right. which by the way, the liberals just kind of flipped on that one, didn't they? Um, and that's the trade-off that they're willing to make is like, we'll take more government so long as it helps us achieve equality. Right. So the next to them, to the right, they go towards order. 
So they're high equality, high order. That's the communitarians. We'll skip them for a second because they confuse us. Right. Below the liberals, so the bottom of the Y and the beginning of the X-axis is the libertarians. These people, I like to call them the no-no party. This is not libertarians like the libertarian party. This is libertarians little l, like just an ideological libertarian. They oppose what the liberals favored. So they oppose government activities that interfere with the market, such as affirmative action programs. Right, ones that would ensure equality. They oppose those. Yes, and they also oppose, just like the liberals, they also oppose government actions that restrict individual liberties, such as porn and mandatory testing for illness. Now, the final one here is the conservatives. Conservatives, on the other hand, prefer order and freedom. So they're lacking in the equality realm. They oppose, like the libertarians, government activities that interfere with the market, such as affirmative action programs to employ minorities and increase spending on public housing. But they favor, unlike the libertarians and unlike the liberals, they favor government actions that impose social order, such as banning sexual explicit. So they are, they're, the, they're the group that says, do ban pornography, do mandate medical tests. Right. So that's their trade-off, is they're willing to sacrifice individual freedom for the sake of social order. That's how government intervention is acceptable. And we all understand these. We all kind of know that the uh, caricature of the super conservative is ban same-sex marriages, ban porn, ban drugs. Of course. So they that makes sense. Law they and order. favor those... Right. They favor all those actions. Hard on crime. And classically oppose government intervention with markets and all that kind of stuff. The liberals, again, same thing. We expect them to favor government activities that promote equality, affirmative action, that kind of thing. And equal rights, gay marriage. Yeah. But the weird thing that happened recently with COVID the COVID-19 scamdemic is according to the theory here, liberals should literally their example is mandating testing. They would, they, these people should oppose mandating testing for AIDS. Let's just revert. Let's just change the illness mandating testing for COVID. These people are supposed to be against that because that that's a freedom versus order problem. So mm-hmm. the fact that they reversed that during this COVID thing is very interesting to me. Also interesting is that the conservatives, according to this, uh, they favor actions such as banning sexual movies and mandating testing. These people should have been the ones to be like, yes, test for you have to be tested for COVID right. to maintain order. So we see but like in a the, flip In the case almost. of COVID, it was a flip. Very interesting. And we, we had a very deep insight about communitarians. Yeah. So communitarians, let's get back to those. So they're the weird group that's high order, high equality, which you could also interpret as high government intervention or that they don't really see a trade-off between individual freedom and equality or order. They just say, if the government's going to ensure equality, do it. If the government's going to ensure order, anything the government's going to do to do those things, do it. There's no trade-off, seemingly. The communitarians and the libertarians, they both have, they have the same answer for both. 
in the case of the libertarians, they oppose the government doing X and they oppose the government doing Y. The communitarians favor the government doing anything to promote the order and anything to promote the equality. So yes, like you were saying, there's literally no, there is no individual in a right. way. And you can typify or typify people by um, questioning them, like on a survey. Like, should the government do X? Like, should the government ban abortion? Should the government um, ensure jobs or equal pay? And so it's kind of interesting because you get a mixture of responses from both uh, traditional liberals and traditional conservatives, meaning on some of those questions, they'll say yes. On some, they'll say no. It depends on whether or not it's perceived that what the government is going to do is relating to, you know, ensuring social order or uh, preserving equality or ensuring social equality. So that's how you can typify those two. But then you have the communitarians and the libertarians, and they are very consistent. They don't have a mixture of answers. Their answer is either always yes or always no. So they're like the most principled almost seemingly, where the libertarians just always say no. Should the government do X? No. The government shouldn't do any of those things. We shouldn't have a government. It should all be up to people, individuals to decide. Whereas the communitarian is like the inverse of that, where they say, should the government do X? They always say yes. The government should always help out and do things for us which is kind of interesting. There's something, yeah, there's something really weird about all of this. So this little thing here, so I'm going to read a couple little things from here that kind of help us understand what a communitarian is. Communitarians, those who are willing to use government to promote both order and equality, one way of thinking about it. Another way to, to say the same thing is they value equality and order more than freedom. The term is used narrowly in contemporary politics to reflect the philosophy of the communitarian network, capital C, capital N, a political movement founded by sociologist Amitai Edzioni. 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 This movement rejects both the liberal conservative classification and the libertarian argument that individuals should be left on their own to pursue their choices, rights, and self-interests. Like liberals, Etzioni's communitarians believe that there is a role for government in helping the disadvantaged. Like conservatives, they believe that government should be used to promote moral values, like preserving the family through more stringent divorce laws and limiting uh, dissemination of pornography, for example. Our definition of communitarian, small c, clearly embraces the communitarian network philosophy, but it's broader. Communitarians favor government programs that promote promote both order and equality, somewhat in keeping with socialist theory. Yeah, so super interesting because, yeah, like we were saying before, it gets a little dicey when you try to figure out, like, who are these people? And why don't we hear about this in political debate, really? Because seemingly these are the people who advocate for, you know, more government influence and if you think about like people in the general public, it's like that seems to be the tendency is for people to advocate for more and more government regulation. Like when I mean, it's literally like a meme, like people will be like, oh, this issue like, you know, this happened. Oh, it's terrible. Like take that, you know, submarine thing that happened recently. It's like, oh, that's so terrible. We need more regulation, more government intervention. Right. Exactly. You know, which is like exactly to what promote, a communitarian would order. say. Right. Right. That's to promote order. Yeah. 
So you're not allowed to build a submarine for the sake of order. So there's your freedom being limited for the sake of social order. Right. But it also gets confusing because when you think about some of the questions that were used to like build this thing, it's hard to distinguish between order and equality sometimes. So this is what I was saying is it's uh, this dichotomy is a little sus because, like we said before, two of the poles, two of the axes, the endpoint is freedom. So why are they different axes then? And one way to rectify that, you know, seemingly uh, incoherent distinction would be to say that equality and order are actually the same thing. So there's another version of the same chart in the book. And so you have, it's based on the same concepts, freedom and order, equality and order, but it was derived by asking questions and then plotting the answers. Should government outlaw abortion was the question pertaining to freedom and order. And then the question of should government guarantee jobs, that's the freedom versus equality argument. And when they asked people these things, we end up with some distribution across this chart, which is interesting. They break it down in multiple ways. So one way of thinking about it is on the equality versus freedom as a, as a whole, that's almost a 50-50 split. 52% equality, 48% freedom on the whole. Um, freedom versus order is pretty close, but it actually is almost 10% higher. It's 59%. Freedom, 41% order. So it's close to a 50-50 split, both directions. And this is from 2008. I bet you it's different already. But from 2008, these questions being asked, the liberal pattern occurred most frequently at 32%. The libertarians were next, surprisingly, 27%. Conservatives, 21%. That barely outscores the communitarians at 19%. And... It says here, three quarters of those we label conservatives because of their answers to the questions on order and equality also describe themselves as conservatives, while more than half of the liberals were also self-described liberals. In contrast, those we classified as communitarian or libertarian, according to their equality questions, showed less consistency in classifying themselves as liberal, moderate, or conservative. So they don't know they're communitarians. Ver- or even libertarian. Interesting. Which points out, perhaps points to the question of the COVID flip-flop. Yeah, well, that's what I wanted to get to, too. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the questions because, yeah, sometimes it's hard to even distinguish between what order is and what equality is. So, yeah, one of those questions, like, should the government ensure you know, jobs or something, make sure everyone has a job. In some sense, that's equality. Like everyone has, having a job would be an equal society. But that's also social order, like everyone working. So it's a little confusing when you're like using something like that to typify whether or not someone is conservative or liberal because it's hard to even parse, well, is that order-inducing or is that equality-inducing? If someone were to say, yes, the government should ensure jobs. Which is the point I was making about like... That's a good point. I yeah. don't even know you if You made that these, point last time and I was just as stunned by it, yeah. Yeah, these axes are separate. Um, 
So, yeah, that's a little strange. And then, too, yeah, you said a second ago that you have kind of like 50-50 people on the order side and the freedom side and people on the equality side and the freedom side, which to me also means that these aren't good constructs. So it's very rare that things would end up that way statistically, that if you ask something or like had a question that you asked people, half of people said one thing, half of people said the other, that almost means that your question isn't capturing anything because people's answer could literally be decided with the flip of a coin, meaning it's random in some sense statistically, meaning that it doesn't capture anything meaningful. Well, the interesting thing that kind of makes that, clears that up a little bit is that people did a bad job often of classifying themselves. So Right. So that's another piece of so evidence. They, right. So they added this dimension, this kind of second dimension, based on the fact that... The modern equality dilemma. This, yeah. In a way, there's this group that all... Like the libertarians. There's this group that keeps saying no to everything. And there's this other group that keeps saying yes to everything. These other two, liberals and conservatives... It said this. The book even points out. It says respondents who easily place themselves on a single dimension, running from liberal to conservative, often contradict their self-placement when answering questions that trade freedom for either order or equality. A two-dimensional typology allows us to analyze responses more meaningfully. One reason so many Americans classify themselves as conservative on one on a one-dimensional scale is that they have no option to classify themselves as libertarian. So they, it's almost like they said, what if we give them another dimension? Mm. Like they didn't, but that's just like, that's, that will be the next step. It's like, okay, do you know that there's something called libertarian? <laughs> and this is how they think. These are the kinds of questions and answers that they, how they respond to these questions. Yeah. And then people might start going, oh yeah, that's me. And it may be the same for like a liberal, like liberals are there, uh, that's the group of people that will, that find themselves going, I might be a communist, I might be a socialist, you know, going towards Bernie Sanders or whatever, which happened in mass when Bernie Sanders came out as a Democrat, as a liberal, you know, the liberal party, but then said, oh, by the way, though, I'm really a democratic socialist and I'm kind of a socialist and flocks, you know, come to him and say, yeah, we are too, actually. So because now we know Almost like now we know there's this option. We were bad at identifying ourselves. Part I th- I would say it's because, like they're saying, there's no other options. Like yeah, because we have this weird two party super state, and because it's not hard and fast. Like the communitarians versus the libertarians is literally no on everything versus yes on everything, and that's like a stalemate. Government actually would probably have a difficult time moving forward at all. But when you bipolar, like make it a bipolar scale between liberals and conservatives, where one says yes to one, the other says no. And then the opposite for the next question, order versus freedom, equality versus now government can take a step every time. There's always you have this kind of trade-off sentiment behind everything. Yeah, well it's you so know? interesting. I mean, to me, it just it's so revealing of like the kind of identity politics we have and how unstable actually Republican or I guess in this it would be conservative and liberal identities are because like literally as you've seen throughout the course of United States history like the switching of the parties like you know conservatives used to be the party for x and now they're they kind of stand for what the liberals used to stand for and vice versa and 
really the only principled people are the libertarians and the communitarians, which are, I feel like we're really all just on one spectrum of like the degree to which we want government intervention. And communitarians are like to the max, most (laughs) everything, you know, government intervention to the max. And libertarians are no government intervention at all. And then you have Republicans and Democrats or liberals and conservatives somewhere in the middle, and they are merely distinguishing themselves by, you know, whatever they want, I don't want it, you know, but they're still well, the for some that you're, intermediate level of government intervention. Liberals and conservatives, the problem is, is that they are, according to this, like science or whatever, they are inconsistent on the question that you're asking, which is government intervene, yes or no? They say, they both of those right. two groups say, depends. Sometimes. Whereas <laughs> the lip, the communitarians say yes, and the libertarians say no. No matter what, because they they are thinking on that spectrum. Government intervene, yes versus no. Whereas the libertarian, or the liberals and conservatives can't answer that. They're too nuanced. Basically, they're saying they're well, literally the, too ideological. Interve- they go intervene into what you know. Well, so one thing I wanted to bring up was you have a a, a clip, don't you? Yeah, I'll get to that in a second. I wanted to bring up first okay. the equality thing which is we were kind of comparing this to the recent Supreme Court decision. So equality, or you know, as they're saying, you started with, there's equality from and equality to, which is kind of akin to the recent Supreme Court right. case about the freedom of speech, which is most people just interpret freedom of speech meaning to say you can say what you want, but it's also the freedom All, yes. not to be compelled to say. All three of the cases we talked about dealt with something in this realm. Right. Yeah. Well, yes. Well, well, we should tell people what that decision was. So it was like a Colorado businesswoman or something was like, I'm going to do some business having to do, it's going to interact heavily with the community of people trying to get married. And it's very similar to like the cake thing where it's like, I'm not going to ever say things or, or put things uh, as like, almost like she was saying like, this is my art, you know, yeah, it's my business, but it's also my art. And I'm, there's certain things, certain things I won't draw, certain things I won't write, certain things I won't say and promote. And she's operating, but says, I think I'm going to have a problem in Colorado. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, it looks like you are going to have a problem. Colorado, uh, back up. The <laughs> Supreme Court went in favor of her, which which we found to be interesting. And that was for Colorado. That was the Supreme Court, the federal court saying, yes, yes, freedom on which dimension the dimension of equality. But it's so it's so convoluted because you're like, so is it equality in what? Is it equal? Like, so who's getting the equality and who's being deprived of the equality here? If you say, okay, if the Supreme Court said Colorado's right, she has to say these things, then it seems to me that that could be a question of equality as well. Like, she... Yeah, so this is because a good point. not it's not clear because you don't notice it until you recognize that it's freedom that's being taken from her and freedom is being taken from her on a dimension between freedom and equality. It's very crazy. Like it's such a odd thing. Well, yeah, cuz you would think in this model it's like that's a law, the Colorado law, the anti-discrimination law that they had. Let's say that's like a 
government intervening in a way that ensures equality. So that's a typically classically liberal policy. And then you say it's equality because everyone's getting the same service. But then it's interesting because the court said, no, you know, we're going back toward freedom. She has the freedom not to be compelled to say things she doesn't want to say. But that's also a form of equality. Right. Apparently, because the scale says so, first of all. And second of all, how? Like I, that, I have a trouble putting it into words. Like how is that? How is her, this her equality? Well, because it's like she has the equal right not to be compelled to say things she doesn't want to say, just as you have the equal right not to be compelled to say or do things you don't want to do. And so in order so to ensure that equality, yeah. Right. So it's so interesting because you see immediately the conundrum, like the philosophical inconsistency and incoherence of that freedom versus equality and freedom versus order spectrum. You're like, really, this is all just the measure of government interference. I don't know what this equality and right. order bullshit is. It's just how much is the government going to interfere in our lives? Yeah, so it's really ult- the ultimate struggle is between the libertarians and the communitarians. And right. the liberals and conservatives are a bunch of fence sitters that can't make up their minds on anything. Because it really is, <clears throat> as people often say, oh, you give the liberals this power now, wait, it'll be used against them later. And I'm always saying that too. There's a hammer and it just switches hands back and forth. We're going to beat you from the left. And then once the right, you know, then we're going to beat you from the right when the right gets in power. Right. So, Which, and this is the point Russell Brand has made. It's like, we are unable almost to think critically about policy and government at this point. Instead of asking, is this the right thing the government should be doing? Really taking a step back and going, should the government intervene in our lives at all? How is power, the government, people far and away, the federal government, wielding force in our lives, you know, in a way that's inappropriate? And if you take that step back, that's really akin to like the libertarian position, which is like, no, you have to realize that in all these questions, like, should the government ban abortion? Should the government secure jobs? There's this pre-presumption that the government should exist and it should be doing things. And then should it do this? Yeah. <laughs> It should every social problem that arises, the government has to have some say in, which is not even true because I think they fabricate a lot of the stuff. Like the trans stuff came. I mention this all the time because it's it's just perplexing to me, because it came out of it literally came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, like some there was like one mention of it in the universe, and then like a bunch of these politicians stand up and say we need to do legislation about it and then immediately all this legislation just boom bam it's like there the next day it's out of nowhere again and then this legislation gets pushed through it's voted on it goes to this court goes to that court and then the next thing you know we're all unbelievably sycophantically utterly obsessed with the transgender issue some, there's something else going on for sure. There's like some kind of weird fabrication for some unknown reason, some kind of destabilizing force that's doing its antics simply to destabilize, I guess. I don't know what else, why else anybody in their right mind, why would a senator from South Carolina, you know what I mean? It's just like, this doesn't make any sense. So, but nevertheless, every question that comes up is being legislated. And a you have to have infinite lifetimes to even read all the legislation. So we, God, by that yeah. fact alone, we know that mm, the government yeah. has already intervened plenty. It's intervened enough. It's done intervening. It, it can't – the more you intervene in these 
arenas, we've talked about this too. It's like the less responsibility you have. Like you don't have to, it's like if every single question is answered by government and government's only tool is force, which it is, everything comes down to the point of a gun. Right. Well, this is so clearly how you end up at the communitarian argument. You like you see how everything is actually in a flow toward communitarianism, which is government intervention in everything because it takes all the responsibility away from individuals toward the what? The community? The community as established through government. So it's like actually there are no, you know, as I said at the beginning, there are no pre-community individuals in communitarianism. There are only communities ordained by the government, which is what this clip gets at that I was going to play. So this is Rosa Corey. Uh, this is this woman. She was a, a lawyer um, specializing in uh, land law, I think. But uh, anyway, she is talking about Agenda 21, which we're not going to go into today because that's a big, deep, long rabbit hole that whew, we don't have time for. But she's and there's tons about, of research out there on it already. <laughs> yeah, she talks about what communitarianism is. So this is like the red pill version of the argument, which I feel like we've already gotten to. But this is how I first encountered it, and it was kind of shocking. So here we go. We created the Post Sustainability Institute uh, in order to educate people about the economic, social, political, and environmental impacts of communitarianism on the world. And communitarianism is that, uh, that concept, that uh, social and political construct that says that the individual's rights should be balanced against the rights of the community. And of course, the community is that amorphous, uh, undefined community that we, you know, when we talk about community, we think we're, of course, part of it and that, you know, it's a positive thing. But really, community is, uh, is constructed. It's constructed of non-governmental organizations organizations, corporations, and government in order to dictate and regulate what it is that happens uh, around the world. And we as individuals have literally no influence on that unless we are in agreement with it. If you dissent against the community, against communitarian law, or against communitarian uh, social tactics, you're rejected and uh, and basically uh, made uh, an outcast. And that is something that, uh, that we wanted to expose to the world. And the reason that, uh, that we created the Post Sustainability Institute was in order to sue. Um, we sued our, our local government, and right now we're suing uh, up higher up in order to stop regional plans because regionalization is the stepping stone to globalization. And globalization is the standardization of all systems. So that includes uh, water, law enforcement, uh, education, energy. All systems have to be brought into harmony in order to control them all. Because when systems don't meet, when they're, when they're out of balance or not in sync with one another, they can't be controlled centrally. And the goal of Agenda 21 is one world government and total control from a central unit. Anyway, we're not going to get into Agenda 21. Exactly. But yes, she, I think, does a good job there of, you know. Yeah, that's a wrap. We'll see you all next time. <laughs> yeah. Spelling out exactly how this works. Uh, because, and this is what you see in society. So I was super interested because I heard that. And I said, the part where she says, 
the rights of the individual need to be balanced against the you know needs of the community or the wants or what's best for the community. And it's so interesting because that is like the exact premise of this very popular show on Apple TV right now called Silo. If you were watching Silo, this is something that is explicitly called out like multiple times. There's this argument over people in the show. Like they all live in like literally a tunnel. Like think about a corn silo, just this cylinder. Like there's a huge cylinder under the ground that people live in, like a whole society lives in a silo. And um, they're constantly arguing over the needs, you know, the freedoms of the individual need to be balanced with the needs of the community, what's good for the community. And so people, they're very restricted. And when someone, you know, dissents, they're punished and they're sent outside of the society. They're literally sent outside of the silo. They have to go and go out to the outside world. They're shunned from the community, as she said. So it's so interesting how this is like popped up in popular culture in this TV show. So I was interested, yeah, in kind of digging into what this is. And yeah, you see it too in like popular media, like the these artificial communities that are imposed on us that aren't even real. Like we don't even know these people. Like things like LGBTQIA2, LMNOP, whatever, um, hashtag question mark. Like those are that's not a real community of people. Like what is that? Those people don't know each other. You don't even know hardly all of those people, let alone just a select group of those people. And then the same with all these other movements like white and or identities, white and black and brown and people of color. And it's like those aren't real communities. Those are communities that have been established by someone or a group of people. And if you get out of line, well, then you're shunned from that community. And so, yeah, it's very... Yeah, and we know that a lot of that stuff is contrived because so much of it doesn't make any sense, even when it's enacted. Like, so we talk about like African or like black people as if like, I mean, Africa is one of the biggest continents, masses of land on the planet. I mean, it's just so unbelievably diverse. We know it's we know it's contrived. Like, that's what she's saying is and this I'm just pointing out like. It is true. Like, she's not just claiming something. It's like, this is made, it's some manufactured, the community is, sure, there are communities, and sure, they even maybe are pointing to them, but they're made up, in a way, for some benefit to them. Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, you think about, oh, we need to protect the LGBTQIA2 plus S, whatever, community, and it's like, that what is that community like that's not even one group of people that you're advocating for or whatever what does that community want what is in the best interest of that community because you're treating it like a monolith as if they have one best interest but in fact on closer inspection you see that they might even have directly conflicting interests where some of the things that trans people want are very you know antagonistic to what lgs and bs want so yeah it's or even other trans. Or even just other trans. Yeah, exactly. Whatever that even means. Yeah. So I believe that I believe that the communitarian stance is hidden for a reason. Mm-hmm. And the reason is probably this insight that I glean from, especially from what Rosa Corey was saying, which is that the communitarian philosophy is the political philosophy of the elite. Right. Especially the political elite, because they get what they want every time. And laws are written, you know, when go read a law, like most 
many of much of the legislation that gets pushed through on like different levels, sometimes not, but a lot of times it's just chock full of all sorts of stuff. It's not just dealing with an issue. It's dealing with like all sorts of stuff. Right. Well, because they're the ones deciding who the community is and what's in the best interest of the community. It's not the community, the individuals that comprise the community that decide what's in their best interest. It's the government, which is and for rhetorical the elites, purposes, right. mostly like literally just to like get support for stuff. I mean, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, many, many other what we would consider left wing, liberal, whatever. Just a few short years ago, were anti-gay marriage, which is seen to be like a fundamental that is separate from like all this other crap that's going on now. But even just even that piece of the puzzle, they were against until it was no longer politically expedient. Do you think Hillary Clinton or, or Joe Biden? changed their minds when they turned 65 years old that's when it happened they were like you know what now i've i'm all down for gay marriage just randomly after a lifetime it's possible but highly unlikely and that it all happened for all of them all at the same time you know that this is all bullshit (laughs) you know well so this is the other thing that i want to get back to so on some level it sounds like a fine idea, like communitarianism. Yeah, like the community, you know, decides for itself. And that works in some sense when you have a pure democracy, like everyone is involved in the government. And then there's no real distinction that needs to be made between the individual and the government or the community. It's kind of like all the same thing. Like if all the individuals are participating in the community action, the government, then we don't need this distinction. That distinction only arises when we have representative government, when we have a group of people that are the government that are distinct from the citizens at large. And I think at that point, this gets very suspicious and tricky as a political ideology because literally you have like a small subgroup of the people deciding what the communities are and what the communities need. And so that is also like a step change. I think Like communitarianism might be a fine idea on the small scale, like works for your family, works for your local, you know, area or whatever. But it doesn't seem like a good idea for the country. We have so many people. It's so difficult for us to imagine any other system than we have now, because how do you how do you manage 300 million people? You can't even know like 100 people or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like it's hard to even keep up with like a couple friends very well and we have 300 million people because it sounded like to me you were saying or what you were saying made me think i could ask well what do you suggest like would you say a pure democracy like is the right way to go rather than a representative kind of democratic republic of some kind well yeah maybe i don't know i think it's almost like just smaller just things don't work at the scale that we're operating at like yeah if things were managed at different levels i think it would be easy like so if your state were more sovereign than they currently are you would focus less on the right right federal state or uh countrywide politics because it really wouldn't matter so much because you don't live everywhere else you only live here in wherever you live or wherever i live in georgia 
And it's like, and then the more sovereignty you get as you drill down, the better it seems like. Because now if my city, and a lot of people argue that this is the case, that they're just distracting us all with the federal bullshit <laughs> and that the stuff that actually affects your life right, right. is the, it are the things that currently exist. There are town halls right now. You don't go to them. Well, that's the thing. Nobody yeah. goes to them. I don't know how you have like a large scale government that doesn't end up at tyranny. Like, because it's like in order to control a large system, like as a system gets larger, entropy naturally increases. Like, the diversity of the community naturally increases. And in order to control it, it has to have more and more regulation and stipulation and law. And so it ends up just naturally, I feel like, becoming tyrannical. Like, I don't th even think there is a version of libertarianism like that or small government that can actually govern a large group of people. I just feel like fundamentally an idea of government at large scale is large like that would imply you need large government like with lots of <laughs> influence and <laughs> interaction in the community yeah and based even based on this textbook you know which seems to be fairly kind of down the middle it talks about globalization i mean it's literally the first section is the globalization of american government so it says however we live in an era of globalization a term for the increasing interdependence of citizens and nations across the world. So we must consider how politics at home and abroad interrelate, which is increasingly important to understand to understanding our government. But I feel like that's this big assumption, and I think it's one of those, I call it like, it's borderlines on this thing that I call the bigness fallacy. Like people like to think that things that are big or small are like more or less significant or like more and less complicated. But... I personally don't think of the fact that on aggregate, our nation trades and interacts with other nations, that that matters enough for government to intervene. Right. Well, it's very abstract. Yeah. So why can't I have a widget that I make and I want to sell it and I want to sell it on a global market? Well, it's very simple. You just have to get that item to the other country. No, it's so interesting too. It reminds me of this a uh, woman who came to talk to Jordan Peterson on his podcast, she was like an African entrepreneur from Africa. And she talked about her experience starting a business in the United States and then trying to go back and start business in Africa, in her home country. And she was saying, really, the key difference was freedom. Like, it was so easy to be an entrepreneur in the United States. There was very little government involvement which is, I think, kind of the opposite of what you would think. Like, you might think... I actually am surprised by that fact. Yeah, I'm like, really? I can't just go to Africa and set up a tent and be like, I have a business now? Right, exactly. You'd think that that's how it is. Like, it's, oh, it's, you know, rugged. It's freedom for individuals. But it's not like that. It's actually, there's a lot of government regulation. It's very hard to start a business in Africa because there's so much government regulation. And so it's just interesting, yeah, to me to hear that because... It really is like seemingly in America. Like, well, then that goes to show you too that the government inter involvement doesn't make things better exactly. because you have excessive government involvement in places where things aren't as good as they are here. And we probably go the way th of, of these countries the more and more we try to do what they've done. Right, exactly. Exactly. And so that was her whole shtick was like, 
look, people want to tell me my country is not doing well, or my, you know, continent even, Africa, and, or her specific country. Right. She was like, people want to tell me in America that it's because of racism. It's because black people aren't smart. It's because black people are inferior. Africans, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, that is a bunch of nonsense. And she was like, it comes down to the law. And she was like, you have freedom in America. And she's like, and you just don't in my country. She's like, it was so difficult to even start a business. And she was like, it was 10 times harder for me to do it there than it was here. And she's like, that's what's keeping people held down in Africa. And I was like, that is not like a condoned fact. And I feel like people in America want to paint it the opposite. Like we need more regulation or something to make things better here or something. Yeah, and I think I've I've learned this, I think, more and more listening to that All In podcast is that sometimes these entrepreneurs that are millionaires, billionaires, their goal is not always to subjugate, let's say, Africans or Chinese for the benefit of profit. I think that is a huge component and capital does seek those kinds of benefits to some extent. But I think there are people, like, it would be difficult for me to believe that Friedberg from that podcast or Sachs, I can't imagine any of them embarking on some kind of venture that was similar to, like, another conversation we had, like, to, like, cobalt mining with, like, AK-47s and a bunch of child slaves. You know what I mean? Like I can't, they just don't seem like the types of people that could, that would really countenance that. And they also seem like problem solvers or at least that they fancy themselves. So, and that if that were the case, that would like become their goal to like figure out how to like still be really rich and successful and also fix this problem that I'm encountering in my own situation. And I think that's kind of like a, a little bit of what their podcast is to some extent you know what i mean it's almost like an incubator of ideas in a way so well yeah i think there's uh there's something to this whole like freedom thing and letting you got to be okay it's hard i mean i fall short here too oftentimes but like be okay with there being really a lot of inequity inequality because it's not i could be really upset and part of me wants to be that these dopes like Friedberg <laughs> are gajillionaires and I'm not, you know, but that isn't a bad thing that he exists necessarily. I mean, specifically, maybe, I don't know, but I'm saying that it's not a bad thing that people with some degree of power exist. Right. And globalism too, I think it has these detrimental problems because I think a point someone's made, maybe you, but one of the things is, so say you have freedom in the country to, you know, establish businesses and whatnot. Well, if they're actually part of those communities, then the benefits accrue to those communities. One of the problems with globalism is that the communities in which the business operates in are not necessarily the communities to which the benefits accrue. So sometimes the capital just goes to wherever the capital goes, wherever it's cheap to go, wherever the taxation's the lowest. And the labor gets outsourced to wherever the labor cost is the lowest. And so when you abstract the business away as some like abstract entity that exists across 
community lines and isn't embedded within any community, then you end up with all these sorts of problems, which is very akin to like this global government, like regulating international trade. Like you were saying, it's like, well, what is the country at that point? Because it's like, we're just talking in the abstract. Like the U.S. is just an idea. Like the U.S. trading with the U.K. Like those are just ideas. Like in reality, there's people, like specific people, trading with specific other people in another country. And we could let those people figure it out. You know, we don't need to like and we, sit yeah. and think in the abstract. We miss that because of the way that the, either the size is a component, but the way that it's presented to us over and over again, that like it's big and it's so it's complicated. It's a lot so you don't understand. Let the technocrats make their communitarian laws for the benefit of us all because of that way of thinking, that big way of thinking like that, this abstraction like, you're ta- like you call it, it kind of negates the individual except for the elect few, the Fauci, you right, know, the right. president. Or it's our this shortcomings, guy, that guy. as you said, like our inability to be comfortable with the inequities that different people, different people trading, you know, in the countries are going to deal with it differently. And that's okay. You know, we can be okay with that happening. But for some reason, we're like uncomfortable with that. I feel like we have a tendency toward like, no, we need to make it standardized. We need to make it all the same equality, which there we get again back to like that trading of freedom for equality. You're like standardize it. That would be best. Yeah. Well, why is, and I think, so because you, what you have is like, you look at those guys and then you look at yourself and go, why is it so hard for me? Say, especially if you're just like someone working at a store or doing this or that job, whatever, and it's hard and you go, well, why is it so difficult for me then? I think that the cause of those kinds of things, probably those kind of disparities is partially this emotional argument that's been made that those guys, is, wouldn't it be great to be a gajillionaire and you're not and it's hard. Right, right. That's one facet. But another part of it is probably very much along the lines of the difficulties that that lady faced going back to Africa and tra- trying to start a business. What's in your way? You know? Right. Well, I think in her specific case, it was a business license. Like she was like, you can get a business license within a couple minutes in the United States. She was like, it literally takes months, if not years, to get a business license in the country that she's yeah. from. And you will meet people that are way better off than you that will give you the kind of advice that sometimes you need. And then it's in your hands, at least to some extent, you know, because I think that when I like I know a lot of guys that do mechanic work, for example, like that are really good at that. And I'm just like. And you don't have a shop. Why? You know, it's like, I believe in them more than they believe in themselves. I think there's something to that as well. Getting out of that mental trap, doing for yourself, trying to figure it out and get, you know, do better. Because I think that sometimes that argument they give us of you versus them makes you feel like it's not really your responsibility to actually do better. Or if you're like at a hourly wage job at like Walmart, it's the government's fault for not making them pay me more money. Like that's why I'm struggling so bad. Right. Is because minimum wage isn't high enough or because housing is too expensive or because of whatever blah, 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 X, Y, Z down the line. There's lots of nuances, all those things, but it's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Be poor. Not my problem. I'm poor. <laughs> Be poor. <laughs> Being poor is fine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, big government, big problems. Exactly. Ooh, 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 ooh.
I'm just saying it's a crazy textbook. It's a real page turner <laughs> as far as a textbook. Elite theory, the view that a small group of people actually makes most of the important political government decisions. Well, that's true. That's not a theory. 